Alright, get ready. We are about to plug in with a great young guitar player. He's already played arenas on a big tour with David Lee Roth. Dream gig. Hello. And he's also rocked out with Winger. Some great moments that we're going to get into there. He's even done guitar tracks for pop stars such as Selena Gomez and DNCE. And hey, if you're in LA, you might be lucky enough to catch him playing around town with his better half, the great singer Adi Argalazi. We're talking about Jake Font, and as much as he is a rocker, he also likes to play other styles. Today's show was made possible by Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. Guitar Player, play better, sound better. And you know what? As we listen to more music from Jake Fon, I just got to take a moment here. First things first, mad shout out to Jesse Gress, who we lost just two days ago to a long-term lung condition. Would have loved to have him on this show. Jesse was a fantastic music editor and a great guitar player. He played guitar for Todd Rundgren for, I think, 30 years. I know I saw him with him a couple times in the early 2000s, and he was phenomenal, but mostly he was a mentor to me because when I first started at Guitar Player Magazine back in 2001, he helped me out a lot and showed me a lot of stuff about music notation and just guitar in general. I'm really sad that he's gone. I'm still kind of in shock. Just found out today, but hey... 2023 is just the gift that keeps on giving. I'm being sarcastic because, you know, of course we lost Jeff Beck. And if you heard the last episode, well, we uh, celebrated his life with Steve Lukather. Anyway, props to Jesse Gress. Endless respect for Jesse. And I love seeing all the tributes on the socials. My heart goes out to his wife, Mary Lou, and his family and everyone else. I'll keep these cool tunes from Jake Fawn playing in the background as I tell you a little bit more about him. If you're not familiar with him, you'll quickly figure out that he's from England. He uh, grew up in Guildford in the Surrey region, south of England. The only other musician in his family is his uncle Simon, who gigs regularly doing cover tunes, playing guitar. And of course, speaking of guitar, Jake was about 11 or 12 when he saw Slash, maybe a video of Sweet Child of Mine, I believe. And next thing you know, he's at someone's house and there's a guitar there, and he had to have one. His mom got him a Yamaha Pacifica, which he says was a great guitar. It was a rental, but it worked for him. And the first lead guitar player that ever blew his mind was either the guys in the darkness or one Ingve Malmsteen, who he saw when he was 15. And from that point forward, this skater boy named Jake suddenly was a guitarist. And soon he was studying music more formally at Gottelmin College, if I said that right. Age 16. Finished university at 21 from the Brighton Institute of Modern Music.
was soon teaching, taught for three or four years at the Music Works, close to where his mom lived in England. And then he began plotting and scheming to get over to the U.S., where he could land some gigs, which he has certainly done, and deservedly so. Cool Cat really enjoyed going over to his and Adi's house with their dog, too. I think the dog's name is Kingsley. Second time meeting him. Awesome dog. Awesome guitar cave where we're going to hang out and I'm going to play various guitars. I'm plugged into a boss katana that I bring with me in the helicopter on these runs. Meanwhile, Jake is going through some good studio monitors with his uh, Kemper, getting different sounds. I kind of lose track of which guitars we're playing, but there's a Telecaster and a couple of Strats and a couple of Charvels with locking trims that we go through in this awesome hang really appreciate you listening my name is still jude gold keep it alive to your 95 y'all and remember to thank guitar player magazine for making this happen this is episode 161 with no end in sight we're going to keep doing these great guitar hangs thanks for your support it's a hundred percent independent podcast and of course thanks again to jesse gress for all you taught me brother And seeing as Jake has played so much Van Halen with the lead singer of that band, David Lee Roth, we naturally open up on something here. It's kind of cool playing Van Halen two guitars in stereo, playing those great riffs. Guitar for this. Sounds so good in stereo. That's the way it should always be. Yeah, he's really loose on that song, which yeah. I like. You know, I'm using the volume control. <laughs> we need you, Adi. Sing. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so wow. Jake Fawn in the house. I am, I am. Like That's how am. you say it, right? Jake Fawn? That is exactly right. Yeah. Alright, so I always gotta double check. You just never know. Yeah, no, you're you're good, especially with us, you know, foreigners. We sometimes have names yeah. that, you know, don't make sense. So got three govern. Exactly. Go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got to get these things right. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I would not even really know where to begin with you, my friend, but mm-hmm. you have lived a certain 
Hollywood or rock star, rock guitar dream. Yes. Which is to move out here. Yeah. And within a year, I remember your post. Yeah, yeah, I remember that too. (laughs) You're like, been here a year and there was a staple center already for a... Yeah, I was shows with David Lee Roth. Yeah, I was very fortunate with with that, and it was um, one of those things where I don't think I could have could have ever predicted that because um, I I first started coming out to LA probably in I think it was 2016, and I have a friend who lives in in West Hollywood who's a producer, a good friend of mine, a guy called Nolan Lambrosa. He's actually an incredible producer, works with a lot of big pop artists, and he was the one who said, "Come out to LA, stay at mine." I'll show you around. Um, you know, it'll be easy for you to get a gig oh, yeah. here. There's so much going on. So I was like, sounds like a great idea. So I would, for a couple of years, I would come out for like a month or two at a time and stay at his place whilst I worked on my visa case. And then finally in a 2019, yeah, my visa got approved. So I came out on, I think it was like March 4th, I think it was in 2019. No idea what I was doing. You know, I always, I'd met a few people since I'd come out and I'd been to some of the jams, you know, the whiskey, the ultimate jam, the Viper Room jam. And then I would just stop playing with people and doing, you know, I was like, I have to make this yeah. work because now I'm out here. I actually have to stop paying for stuff and you know, rent is incredibly expensive. And that was a yeah. shock to my system. So I was like, all right, I need to make things happen. And, you know, playing with lots of people. And then towards the end of the year, you know, I just got a random you know, DM through Instagram um, saying, you know, you know, I'm the, I'm the bass player in MD. Um, Ryan Wheeler is his name. Great guy. And he said, I'm the bass player in MD for David Lee Roth. would love to talk to you about some shows next year if you're giving me, if you yeah, could call. Shit. And I was like, that's not a, Instagram message I see every day but I will respond to that um, so we responded he, he called me and kind of explained to me what was going on like they need someone to go on this tour with and you know are you interested blah blah I'm like of course I'm interested so he then you know gave me the audition a couple of songs to learn um, I think it was Jamie's Crying You Really Got Me and what was the other one we did I can't remember we, we, we went back and forth a few times on that did the audition a week later he calls me and says well you know would you like to you know join the band and come do the tour and I was like yeah absolutely so this was at the end of 2019 and yeah I came out in yeah sort of early mid 2019 so that kind of timeline was mostly not much going on to suddenly a very very cool gig for a guitarist um, and I grew up on Van Halen so I'm you know, a big fan I remember you know I bought the first album when I was like 14 years old like Van Halen 1 just because I think the front cover looked cool saw them all on the and then all the, yeah. the squares and everything and I'd always known like, you know, Eddie was in the band and obviously then we had David played with Steve Vai and he's had Jason Becker and all these incredible guitarists. Um, and I only came in to do the rhythm guitar part because they already had a lead guitar player for the for the main tour, a guy called Al Estrada, who's an incredible player. Yeah. Um, knows his Van Halen inside out, got the tone, but also has his own thing as well. So he can, he can you know, he's great. So I came in and thought, you know, I've got some, you know, even if I'm playing rhythm, I've still got some big shoes to fill because this is David Lee Roth. So... At the start of 2020, yeah, we, we we went off on tour and opened for Kiss and did six weeks on the road going all over America, um, which was great. That was like my first time doing arenas and big shows and having my own guitar tech. Um, we had Thomas Nordeg, if you pretty yeah, sure you know him. So, and he's like a legend in his own right. He's, he's been with everyone. Steve Vai forever. Frank Zappa, Steve Vai, Lindsey Buckingham, Malmsteen, he's done them all. Um, yeah, and he's man. a great guy. And I saw him the other night, actually, at the Ultimate Jam night. He came down and you know he got a nice... Oh, cool. The video I posted on Instagram was from him, so that was cool. But um, yeah, and then, so there I was playing David Lee Roth, you know, doing Van Halen, you know, basically within a year of being out here, which um, doesn't happen often. You know, I think it's, it's, yeah. I don't know, it's, I guess, you know, it was the right time, right place, you know, and, you know, I was ready kind of thing. So, and yeah, it was a great experience. And then unfortunately, obviously COVID kind of rapidly put yeah. that all to an end much earlier than I would have liked. <laughs> you know, we were supposed to be out all of 2020. Um, you know, we were doing yeah. like, we were doing eight weeks on the road and then like a, Within that eight weeks, we had two weeks uh, in in Vegas doing the House of Blues. It wasn't meant to be a residency. 
and then we were going to have some time off and then in the middle of the year there was a bunch of festivals we were supposed to be doing and then the end of the year we were going to go out on the road again with Kiss for another like two months and then you know who knows what would happen yeah. but most of that ended up not happening because of uh, COVID and then yeah. you know fast forward to now and you know things obviously picked back up and I've but David know, Lee Roth is kind of retired-ish yeah it's kind of yeah. he's hard, you never know with him yeah, um, know. I remember it was so we, we finished COVID basically stopped everything I think it was basically mid-March I think it was and then at the start of 2021 the production manager called us all and said like you know this is when things were starting to open up again and we were all like throughout the whole year we were told like oh David's gonna go back out when the tour happens kiss you know they want him back and all this kind of yeah. stuff and then at the start of 2021 we get the message saying well David isn't gonna go back out with kiss and has no future plans to tour so it's been fun kind of thing and you will know, we'll let you know what happens but you know that was kind of that so everyone on the band was like I guess that was that and then at the end of the year, he did plan on doing a, a, a Vegas residency again, uh, like a New Year's thing, mm-hmm. but it was going to be with a smaller lineup. So no rhythm guitar. It was just going to be kind of, and no keyboards either. It was just going to be like, yeah. I guess, the original Van Halen, which is guitar-based drums, um, and then David on vocals. But then that didn't happen because of COVID again. So, <laughs> And I think since <laughs> yeah. then, David maybe has been like, you know what, with Eddie's passing and just general kind of getting older and health, and you know, things like that. And he's, he's a very health-conscious person. So... I think yeah. he, maybe he's just, you know, decided to call it quits. But I always feel like with these with these guys, you never really know. You know, I can't think how many final tours, you know, Rolling Stones oh, yeah. have done or Kiss, you know, and Motley Crue. They always come back at the end of the day. So I'm a bit older than you, but I got fooled into believing that when I was in the eighth grade mm-hmm. that I was about to see The mm-hmm. Who's final Fun. tour. This is 1983. Oh, yeah. Their final tour. Mm-hmm. Their farewell tour man they came back so many times they're still playing yeah they're still going the final yeah you you saw the first final tour you know yeah yeah how many Mm. people can say that it's true so so if you're what's one of your favorite van halen riffs to play um so where do you start right yeah where do you start i mean when i you know i'm trying what what was the what was the first one i probably learned it was probably like ain't talking about love i remember you know the first time i actually heard that it wasn't even van halen it was it was like a remix like some drum and bass remix years ago that i think my brother found and i always thought the guitar was pretty cool Um, and the remix the riff was like slightly higher in key and it was also much faster anyway started playing guitar found the original song and thought you know just that riff I was like, that's just cool, you know? Yeah, I sometimes think he doesn't get enough credit. I mean, he gets so much credit for all these incredible things that mm-hmm. he innovated and pioneered, but just just the muting. Yeah. Like the, the cat's feet kind of... Yeah. Like he and really made that sound happen. Yeah, it's a very interesting tone because I think I read somewhere as well, like the way it's mixed or something is like you've got the, the main guitar signal and then the reverb is like coming out of the right or they're spread out. So you have this oh, kind yeah. of slapback kind of thing this yeah. effect going on which really gives it some sort of movement and this kind of eerie kind of feel this kind of cold atmospheric kind of darkness to it um yeah yeah i guess that was it, the tank at sunset sound they've run the guitar mm-hmm. downstairs or wherever that is yeah mm-hmm. and bring it back and you yeah reverb on one side totally yeah so and his tone is obviously you know for 1978 you know it was like nothing anyone said i guess i'd ever heard at the time i wasn't there myself but from what i hear people say you know that was like you, know, you, you missed like, out man mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i was nine years old but Whatever. Yeah, whatever. But um, but that's always a fun one to play. Um, one other one I always loved was um, uh, actually there's so many. Um, just like Paradise was always a fun one. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's just like a big arena rock song. Yeah, how's um, the guitar part going? There? I don't even really know. So the intro, I, I, can... I think we just. I think I just started on a pedaling on like an A. Totally. 
something like that, and then the lead card comes in, which I didn't do, and the verse was just very simple, it was like a... Something like that. Yeah. It's just really simple rock, you know? Yeah. And so on. But I just like the chorus. Yeah, it's it's amazing big... how some of the most popular songs are so simple. Yeah. Van Halen's yeah. biggest songs. <laughs> you have to sometimes not forget, yeah, that as fun as it is to do all the technical stuff, the simple stuff is... I mean, um, that's obviously David Lee Roth's song. Sure. But even, you know, it's, it's the same kind of idea, yeah. just a big arena rock. Um, Running With The Devil, that was another great one, um, yeah. just because it was such a... As soon as you hear that kind of horn intro yeah. coming on, yeah. you knew what was about to happen. And then just the groove on it was great, and yeah. just the riff, you know. Yeah. yeah. Something yeah. about taking a major triad and making it sound so fucking heavy. Like, yeah. Only Van Halen, to me, did yeah. that. Like, you take a three-note... <laughs> yep. yep and it would just sizzle yep. and like frying bacon yeah. but it's like major and sunny sound obviously I think he might have tuned down the yeah the, he was a half step down or like or in between yeah. kind of the A4 four, four, you know 3-2 three, three, yeah. or is this 4-3-2 oh, right, right. I think yeah and, that, get, and get those thirds down yeah that was always annoying when trying to practice like all the songs are slightly in between half a step down and standard so you could never quite yeah. <laughs> play it in how it you know it sounds but um yeah, that's one thing I always I always feel like with with, with music and you know, I suppose rock is, especially is, when it comes to songwriting is people I think I've noticed sort of tend to stay away from major sounds I guess because they can sound quite like yeah. you know too happy and just not really dark you know so people often go for minor just because it sounds cooler but you know Van Halen come along with just these major triads yeah and still make it sound really cool and heavy just because of the tone and the feel and the attitude and just the way everything works um, yep I mean how about Unchained oh and yeah to me the ultimate one of the heaviest riffs of mm -hmm. all time and it's a major chord basically yeah I mean yeah I should get my Chavel up for that one but yeah the um did you get to start that one? No. Uh, <laughs> I I came in after Al because Al, he yeah. started all the songs off, I think, and I was just doing the chords and the, a couple of them we would do joint leads. Like when I'm yeah. talking about love, we'd, everything was double in that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jamie's Crying, we kind of played the intro lead together and there's like a, a middle kind of, I guess you'd call it a guitar solo, which is more of like a kind of a yeah. riff. We'd play that together. But he would do all the starts, but you know, we're, we're playing the same riff. But yeah, Unchained, yeah. you know, that's a great riff as well. Yeah, I used to just that's always not... listen to them. Fucking, it never gets old to me. Yeah, yeah, no, I can play it all day. So yeah, it just sounds loose to me. Like that song, yeah. that was the first Van Halen record I ever got. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, it just like it sounded like kind of improvisational. Like yeah. kind of like he just came up with that part ten minutes ago. Like it was really yeah. cool. It wasn't like overly. It just had a mm. loose feel. The whole like yeah. the breakdown in the middle when they're all. Yeah, just messing around on like you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just all these little little bits going <laughs> yeah, on like, you know. who puts that in a song but yeah well eddie was like the king of kind of yeah unconventional parts that he made work especially with his lead playing like i'm um, someone that i've read it somewhere or heard somewhere it's kind of like it's like falling down the stairs and landing on your feet because 
Yeah. His solos, you know, they're very technical in some of them, but they're not always the fastest or the most yeah. complicated to play. But the way he plays them, his feel and his phrasing, you know, he's not always, you know, playing just on downbeats and one. Like I remember yeah. I find like learning like Just Like Paradise, which is a Steve Vai, you know, one way easier to learn than any of the, the Eddie stuff. Not because yeah. it was, um, you know, technically easier or harder, just because, you know, Eddie's feel and his timing is like, that. I think that's it's something looser. which, I think everyone does know it, but people obviously... Yeah. They talk about Eddie with his tapping and the whammy bar and the harmonics and all that kind of stuff because you know that's kind of what he became known for. But his rhythm playing for me is kind of really what stands out more than anything. Yeah, like man. songs like "I'm the One," just the intro guitar part. Totally. Um, anytime that song ever comes up in guitar circles, people always say like no one is ever able to match his feel just because he was very good at doing like a super fast shuffle feel that yeah. so many guitarists, especially in the rock circuit don't really do because that's yeah. more like a jazz kind of thing or a blues thing rock is usually pretty straight and on the beat or ahead of the beat kind of thing eddie was great at like really having a good feel and swinging it and laying back you know and all that kind of stuff so his his rhythm playing is for me is right kind of um one of the things that really kind of stood out for me yeah me too and yeah i feel like that's his fit as you said earlier like his his playing has a very loose improvised feel to it it doesn't feel like he's necessarily sat down for a long time with yeah. his solos and worked out like i'm going to start here and do this and that and it just feels like he's just playing what comes out of him naturally and yeah, it's just what happens when he plays, you know? Yeah, and he, and he plays over the bar lines with yeah. the solos and it's like, mm-hmm. I had the same kind of experience mm-hmm. as you perhaps mm-hmm. when uh, the first tribute band I ever did was a Aussie tribute. Somebody mm-hmm. asked me, I was like, and that was a shit ton of work to, of course. you know, I'm not saying I nailed them, but like, I feel like I understood a lot of sure. what Randy Rhodes' solos were. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. someone else came along and like, hey, that was great. Can you do our Van Halen band? Yeah. And I was like, when's the gig? Four weeks? Ah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It was another yeah. level of trying to get it. I mean, I still work on it to yeah, this well, day. Well, that's the thing. When you really go like under the microscope yeah. and you want to learn these parts note for note, um, it, takes, it takes a long time you yeah. know, just to sort of get into the feel and the mindset and the way they, they would play because um, there are so many like little intricacies and trying to yeah. match feel. And it, it's 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 a lot of work. So um, Yeah, man. It's it's great you know, once you get it. Um, but yeah, it takes a lot of work, and that's why I guess not everyone does it, and it's why people like Eddie were sort of were known for for being who they were, because um just the way they play. So that was a huge leap for you, from, absolutely, from showing up here with probably just the guitar in your back, basically. For the I most know part. you probably mm-hmm. didn't have like six full stacks or anything. What did you do for gear once you got the show? Well, the good thing with that was um, <laughs> all the amps and everything. Like David had it all. Like all he's got all his own like Marshalls, like various, you know. JCM 800s, JMPs, you know, all these kind of old amps from like the 70s, literally from the 70s, half of them are like, you know, the, the fabric was peeling off and they were humming and loud and noisy. Um, but those like the original amps they were they were using back in the day. So that's what we were using for the tour. Amazing. Um, Al was using um, the, uh, what, which, I'm not sure which, he was using Sir amps. I'm not sure which model exactly, right, but right. What, one of the ones that was based on like, you know, the, the Marshalls, which sounded great, you know, and I was like, oh, it'd be great if I could have one of those as well. But I don't think he could get, you know, John said to sort of give him another sort of set of how many amps just just for us but so he was on them but um yeah David didn't like yeah. that when he realized they weren't Marshall because I think David wanted it to be Marshall even though the yeah. Sir sounded way better and was way more reliable um and yeah my my the amp that I was on was often like humming and on the verge of exploding half the time because you know you know David wanted everything to be loud um I remember one time he came to a sound check I think the only time he actually came to sound check um he wanted to like hear how the band was sounding. This was about three weeks into the tour. Um, you know, he wanted to see the drums, guitars, because something wasn't sounding right in his mind, even though everyone else said it was great, but David thought it wasn't. 
and he was listening to my amp and he goes yeah it's you know it's not loud enough basically so like, okay i'll turn up a bit oh, more that's interesting. and then i was like okay and bear in mind i've got like um you know i think I, i'm not sure what i was going to at the time probably like a jam one of the jmps or yeah. something and then we had on our side like a full stack al had a full stack and then matched on the other side so big you know rock style wall of amps where your um, sound, sound was coming off both sides of the stage yeah so we were kind of both right. in stereo which was which is cool um but i wasn't loud enough apparently so i was like okay more volume okay keep going and then he was like you're still not loud enough so i had the amp full just maxed out full to the point where like anytime i rolled the yeah. volume up you know it was on the verge of just screaming and feedback and even when the amp was full he was like it's not loud enough and i was like well this is your amp and also what do you want me to do because <laughs> I'm, I'm as loud as i can get at this point but his philosophy was he wants the guitars um to be loud enough on stage that they can be heard at the back of the arena without any PA system turned on at all so i could just walk yeah. on with the amp and play a chord and if you're at the back of the arena you can hear it yeah. alone which is incredibly loud and i can imagine that's probably like a, a sound man's worst nightmare because then it's just they have no real control over the state the sound yeah. out front but that's what he wanted so um we figured out you know a workaround a couple of what we did i think we bought the sir reactive load and then we kind of did some stuff to kind of get more juice out of the amp but um yeah it had to be loud basically and we were all on in-ear monitors so you know ear protection and everything a few times on the show i would take my ear out just to hear what's going on and i was like there's that's that's like Holy death shit. i'm standing with the drums here i've got the marshals behind yeah. me and owls over there and you got the monitors side fills you got everything going on it was incredibly loud um but david didn't wear any ear protection at all he he would he would just walk out on stage and just listen to the band so i don't know how he would how he still can hear anything well, you have to build up to that with 40 years of deafening volume i know but even when you're quiet he can hear you so it, it's kind of it's impressive that he's still <laughs> seemingly yeah. can hear everything and what's going on but um yeah he's old school which is which is cool and uh, the funny thing is we, we're all on on track as well we had click tracks you know keeping us all in time and queuing songs off and a couple of the songs there would be like stops you know like in, um in panama for example there's um after the breakdown you know the, she's crying da, da, da. You know, that part and then the part where it goes you know, the last chord we would stop there and kind of do let the, uh, let the crowd and they would sing it and then we'd all come back in and when we first started the track would just stop there and then we would kind of all just come in naturally together but then our we'd have a, a guy specifically doing our tracks for us just in case something went wrong on stage he'd be side stage to fix it and we figured out a way that he could trigger the tracks so that it would come back the click would come back in as we yeah. would come in but it was a case that we would be watching and then right and you know we'd all come in he would push the button and then we'd all start in so a few times it would be like this kind of catching up kind of slight delay in, in the click track but um we got in but because david wasn't on any in it he couldn't hear what was going on as far as the click track was going sometimes he'd be off doing his own thing and then we'd all come in and <laughs> he would have to catch up because you know he wasn't hearing what we were hearing he was just hearing the stage but yeah. um that's how we did it you know so we would all have to be locked in in ears and everything but he was off in his own world <laughs> did you meet him at any auditions at all or no when i did the audition it was just me and the band and kind of the crew um i didn't know if he would be there or not i kind of was ready for him to be there just in case so you, you met know, him in the first song on the first gig <laughs> yes that was exactly what happened um yeah it's didn't, wild man just think how people start like with they're so focused on every detail of yeah. their band and then and then later like yeah, i trust the those guys to figure out yeah. the musicianship but yeah that, that was um funny because yeah he didn't come to the audition and then got the gig and then I came to a couple of rehearsals just to watch the band before I kind of came in just to see like how it works and you know, he didn't come to rehearsals for the most part um, and then when it was my time to start rehearsing we had two weeks of rehearsals before the tour started this was at the beginning of January yeah I think that's when I first started um, January 2020 and 
you know, they said, you know, we'll rehearse with the band, get you up to speed, so you know all the changes, the songs, any things we do, just live arrangements. And then for the last day or so, David will come in, make sure it's all okay, blah, blah, blah. So we start rehearsing, it's all going well. And then there's the NAM show. So everyone goes off to NAM and everyone gets sick because that's what people do at NAM. You know, they get the NAM thrax. So the f- a yeah. few days we took off from rehearsals because um, a couple of the guys got ill. And then we had a couple more days left. I think maybe we came back in for maybe one or two more days. And I think they were like, ah, it's fine. You know, we, we've got this, like we're, we're good kind of thing. David doesn't need yeah. to come along. And I don't think he wanted to come anyway, just because he's been playing these songs for 40 years. I think he doesn't really want to rehearse them anymore. And then, you know, we fly out to the first show the day before, have dinner, you know, and then they're like, oh yeah, well, David, tomorrow he'll come into the green room before the show, he'll meet everyone, have some banter, you know, say hi to the band kind of thing. I'm like, cool. And what city was this? This was uh, Allentown. So that was the first show. Flew out on the end of January. I think the first gig was right at the start of February. And then, yeah. So we go out on on the day of the first show to like, sound check get our sound i'm like this is pretty cool here's arena here's my big wall of amplifiers guitar just gets handed to me fully set up ready to go and that's my job basically just to play it and then we do our sound check you know just the band come off get changed shower all that stuff a few hours to the show ryan the md is like yeah david will come you know he'll, you'll, he'll come in you know, into his green room and then we'll meet you then <laughs> so we're getting ready we get told david's coming on in i can hear him going into his room because you can hear when it's david because it's his voice and everyone knows when he's in the room because he's loud and you know you do his, talks you know, a lot yeah talks a lot telling jokes as usual being david lee roth basically ryan goes across to sort of say hello like how's it going like you know do you want to meet you when you guitar player and then he comes back about 10 minutes later and he goes so David's just going to meet you out on stage. You know, he's, you know, we'll see you there kind of thing. And I was like, cool. I'd like to introduce the band. Yeah, pretty much. So um, Dave, Jake, Jake, Dave. <laughs> nice to meet you, Dave, in front of all these people. Um, so yeah, we go out and you know, I, you know, we're on stage left and David comes out on stage right and we're all on ears. We can hear him talking in the background. We yeah. go out, lights go down. We play a big E chord to start the song, set off, noodling around, all that kind of stuff. And then we go into, you really got me. So we start that, and then I see yeah. David come out. The first time I've even seen him in the person ever, and then he comes out with his diamond jacket, spinning his microphone, stand down yeah. with his glasses and all the lights, and everything shiny and glistening. And I'm like, oh look, that's David Lee Roth. Um, what a moment! You're like playing, but you're also like watching. Yeah, and then he comes over and gives me like a little fist bump or something, and that was it. And we played the set, and then we do the gig. And then at the end of the set, you know, we come off stage, and he's, you know, I'm like, oh, nice to officially meet you, kind of thing. And after we've done a gig, and then that was kind of the meeting that we did. It was wow. all good. And then, yeah, then he kind of disappeared off to his his, uh, his truck. And then, you know, next show, next day, same again, basically, you know, pretty much until showtime, he would kind of isolate himself, I guess, you know, to sort of didn't yeah. want to catch anything. And, you know, this was right before COVID started. And this was kind of interesting because I remember when we flew out for the first show, we, we'd heard that something was going on in Italy. You know, they were all on lockdown for some crazy virus. And I was like, ah, what's this all about, you know? And whatever we're out yeah. here doing our thing and then you know you know as, as time goes on we start hearing more about it and like i was like have you heard about this covid thing that people are talking about this virus and then you know then i get the text when we arrive in like oklahoma um like tours cancelled we're leaving tomorrow <laughs> pack your bags kind of thing and i was like wow that's kind of and then it was two weeks to flatten the curve and we're like all right well we've got plenty of shows later this year we'll we'll be back in time for them but then um i guess things just kept yeah. on getting put back and back and one thing led to another but you know it's all worked out but yeah it would have been nice to sort of done a little bit more yeah that would have been quite a, lot of a year on that tour. <laughs> you still had yeah. a, quite an adventure there yeah a dream gig of all dream gigs um what was yeah. any interactions with dave that you remember backstage or anything funny he said or what was the craziest thing that happened on that tour or? yeah i'm trying what, what can i say versus what can't i say no i'm pretty <laughs> I, can, I can say my stuff um I remember one time you know, his tour bus broke down, um, which he was not happy about because God, that just happened. 
yeah. happened to us in Europe just now. But anyway. it seems to happen, you know, a lot. But um, he has his own bus just for himself, and then we all have the crew yeah. bus is is just yeah. for us. Um, and yeah, so his bus breaks down. We, you know, we're all going inside, getting ready. And Ryan, the bass player, was like, um, "David's bus has broke down. He's going to come to ours just to, like to use it. You know, don't come in right now. Just you know, give him some space, kind of thing." But in the text, I think he didn't put don't and he said come to the bus now so i went to the bus and i was like is everything okay like i heard no, david's bus broke down like does he want this place he's like oh yeah i meant to say don't but it's all good he was just in there chilling i was like okay let me grab my stuff i'll get changed and i'll leave so i went to the bathroom quickly and in the sort of the 30 seconds that i went into the bathroom i hear the door open to the bus and i hear this voice come on sounding very pissed off <laughs> and i was like ah oh, shit david's just come onto the bus in the moment that i'm here right when i've been told not to be here i have to hide uh, in here until he goes away yeah i'm like I have to hide in the toilet kind of thing until he until, <laughs> until he comes off uh, until he leaves and then you know i hear these footsteps and i hear a knocking on the door saying hurry up in there and i'm like oh, of course when i'm in the bathroom he wants to come into the bathroom so i'm like i'll be out in a minute and you know i finish up and then i leave and then he's still looking very you know annoyed at his bus not at me just at the situation yeah. you know and, and all that um so i sort of let him sort of scoot by quickly into the you know these little bathrooms on the bus and i grab my stuff and say good luck ryan see you later kind of thing like leave yeah. kind of thing and then later that day was when we did the sound check where he decided that none of us were loud enough um so that was always a fun one yeah the meeting him obviously was another fun one where you know just yeah you know but then later i found out that um he was fully self-aware of the situation and he was like, it'll be a funnier story if we don't meet beforehand. We just go out and play the gig together. Yeah, yeah. He told Ryan that. I was like, well, he wasn't wrong, you know. <laughs> that sounds like him always thinking about, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what else is there? There's probably loads of stuff, but um, we never actually spent too much time yeah. together, which... Yeah, that was a whirlwind. Yeah. Once it went by in the blink of an eye. It did. All of a sudden, it, just... Yeah, if, if anything, it taught me, like, never take anything for granted. Like, any anytime you get a cool gig or opportunity, yeah. you always be like, okay, I've, I'm in this thing right now, which is great. If I'm either hired as a session player or whatever, like, this won't necessarily be forever. Uh, so don't get, like, don't get, you know, yeah. don't, don't you know, get too sort of comfortable because it will come to an end and then there's the next thing. And so enjoy the sort of the, those opportunities when they happen because it's not every day you're playing Van Halen yeah, with yeah. David Lee Roth. So that was that. But, um, no, it was a great experience. Um, yeah, I learned a lot yeah. and... Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, right, who knows do, what the future will lead to? You know, you've obviously paid your dues in so many different respects, but mm-hmm. another amazing gig is playing stuff with Winger. Yes. I know there's a John Roth is also does Winger yep. in John's Red Beach. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. But you've done a bunch of shows or tours. Or? Yeah, well, I was with them from April until I think August last year. I was stepping in for Reb because he plays with White Snake, and White Snake were doing their final final yeah. tour as well. So yeah. when White Snake and Winger are at the same time, I guess Rep has to go to White Snake. You know, it's, it's a bigger gig. You know, yeah. it pays more. You know, and that probably it's the last tour. So that was why they kind of called me. And it was not one of those kind of random yeah. situations where I just got an email out of the blue. I think sort of around February last year from Kip himself, and it just said Winger inquiry, and it said, "Hey, I think yeah, you got you were referred to me by Barry Squire, um, and we need someone who can." potentially step in for either yeah. John or Reb and we don't know which part yet because John obviously goes off with Starship a lot and then Reb goes off with White Snake, so they needed someone who could maybe do both so he was like you know are you free kind of thing and if so can you record yourself playing the rhythm and the lead part to 17 and then the backing vocal as well and I was like okay cool so right, he- what's the rhythm part so uh, I, need, I need my other guitar. Yeah, that, that one's a fun one. Um, that's a yeah, tricky grab, one. Yeah, grab the Charvelli, well, even the if it's Charvel. in a different tuning or whatever. Well, I suppose that's actually in the tuning that they whatever. used. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, Reb is another fun one that I whoops, had, a, had to sort of really 
study a lot for because he has a very interesting way of playing that's um is this in tune let's find out sounds good yeah he uses a lot of upstrokes in in like a very interesting way and obviously he's got his whole tapping thing which is also very weird but um yeah the riff to 17 is Yeah, pretty busy. Yeah. And this is, you know, within the first 30 seconds of the song, there's all that going yeah. on. And then you've got the pre-chorus. So Whoa. Winger songs, similar in many ways to Van Halen, you can obviously tell a lot of the influence, but very intricate, very busy, very syncopated, very laid back. And then a lot of, just a lot of little parts to learn kind of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I had like a month to kind of get ready for that. Because once, once... um yeah, once I did the, once Kip emailed me about like, can you record yourself? I did it, learned the part, had to go on YouTube for a long time and think, how's he playing 17? And then until I found some videos showing that it's all like, it's a lot of yeah. upstrokes on downbeats, which is kind of a weird way to think. And it's not what I'm used to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I did that, sent it to him. He said, okay, cool. And you know, I sent over a few other clips of just stuff. And he said, okay, great. Well, we'd love you to come and watch a show, kind of see how we do things and then maybe jump on stage and play with us just to sort of get a feel. No uh, pressure. Yeah, no pressure, you know, just basically live audition in front of what, a few thousand people. Uh, so he, they said a few weeks later, he emailed back saying, can you play, uh, can you learn Hungry, which is on the first album, and then a yeah. newer song called um, Stone Cold Killer. Yeah, which is kind yeah. of a cool, like, super locker. <laughs> weird, yeah. kind of weird riff. And so he said, can you learn them? You know, all the, the red part, the solos and the backing vocals. So I was like, okay, cool. Learned them. And then they flew out to the show, which was also, I think, on the East Coast. Was that in Pennsylvania as well? It might have been. Um, it was, um, what was the venue called? Penn's Peak, which oh, yeah, maybe yeah. played there before. But um, yeah. anyway, went out there to the big show. wooden building. Yeah, it kind of looks like a big nice. cabin yeah. in the top of that big hill overlooking yeah. everything. Really beautiful. Um, so I flew out there, arrived late at night. The next day, you know, on the group chat lobby call, we got for sound check, go down, you know, I see Reb and he's down there, he goes, hey, nice to meet you, you're, you know, Jake, and he didn't know I was from England, so he was kind of, thought that was interesting, and then the whole band come down, and which is immediately already interesting, because with, with the David, the Roth gig, it was like band, artist, and we kind yeah. of, the crew were always together, and I guess on a lot of like major artist gigs, you know, the kind of the band and the crew in one yeah. area, the artists off somewhere else, but with Winger, they're all together, they're all, it's a band, you're a unit, and if you're with them, you're with them kind of thing. So we all, you know, go, go over to the venue, they're setting up sound checking and then you know I, I step up and play you know with them just to sort of make sure I can do it it's like, okay cool you know the songs right well we're all going to go back to our hotel now and have a nap we'll come back later and we'll do the show and then later on the gig I they go out to pl start the set and I'm just sat side of the stage and then you know halfway through the set Kip goes oh we're going to bring our friend out to, to play with us if you guys don't mind he played with you know David Lee Roth and this and everything so I come out and then Reb hands me his cable and then I play a couple of songs with them and then oh he just turned over his guitar chair pretty much yeah he just gave me the lead songs. yeah and take then, a break essentially yeah it was very just organic you know that's and that, cool man. and that was one of the cool teamwork things. yeah they're very cool like that they're very kind of um they're pros they're pros yeah they, there's no rehearsals either they just you know yeah. once once i did that they were i i sent kip back a message saying like thanks for having me if you need me just you know, give me a shout and he said absolutely we need you we got you know next first next couple of shows will be in like a month here's the set list kind of thing and then i got a bunch of 
video files from Reb himself just playing his parts and his backing oh, vocals. Right. So, because I was like, if I've got you know twenty five songs to learn, all very specific parts, and you know on the records, there's quite a lot going on, you know harmonies and weird things. So, to have specifically see exactly what he does was very yeah. helpful so that was great um, but I, even still like a month was you know barely enough time just to sort of get to grips yeah. with it all. and I had another like mini tour in between that month so I had to do that as well anyway the first show comes out it's like alright we'll fly you out and then you know the sound check is the rehearsal so they kind of had to put a lot of trust in me to know that I could do this because yeah, yeah, we didn't, we didn't spend like weeks rehearsing it was just learn the songs in your own time and then show up and play them kind of thing yeah. um, I guess they, you know, they did trust me from the audition etc but even still like oh yeah it's the kind of music that in my opinion i would have loved to have had a few you know just a couple of days just to run the whole set and make sure we know what's going on but those guys are just they're very yeah. very cool like that they just you know they, they let everyone do their own thing and they want you to kind of do your own thing they want you to learn the part but also like be yourself yeah. so to speak now speaking of mm-hmm. being yourself there's mm-hmm. a killer guitar solo that i've seen on youtube and i don't know how often you did that oh is it the solo thing like the spot like there. yeah that band give yes. you the stage for yeah, yeah. three or four minutes and show us some of that stuff <laughs> yeah what was i doing um i mean it's well i remember like you know kip was saying like you know do you do you do like just solo guitar spots on your own kind of thing i was like you know i've done some things before but never really a long period of time where i've had to like solo and entertain the crowd and he goes okay well if you can come up with something you know basically just give us your all give us like your zach wilde meets eddie van halen just all the fast stuff you can think of yeah. uh you know a couple minutes nothing crazy but it just gives them a chance to have a break and everyone in that band has a solo spot anyway so we all kind of and that would be reb's moment so i was like okay well i'll try and do something in the style of reb but not just i'm not gonna know anything note for note but do my own thing as well um so i kind of we're coming we were finishing um a song called time to surrender and then i would kind of start with this kind of hybrid picking riff which yeah. would go so Then some, you know. Love it. We're very Van Halen, and maybe got the octave. Or something, you know. It's a great video, too, because everyone's yeah. screaming the whole yeah, time. Yeah, it makes it sound much more impactful. <laughs> And the yeah. tone is killer. So yeah, keep going. And then what would I do after that? Um, I think I then maybe would, uh, and then some. Yeah. Some here. And then yeah, we'll go into a tapping thing. Beautiful. Some of that. 
Yeah, I basically just noodle around for as long as I could do it, you know. Um, I love it. You want to, can you show us uh, some of that last pattern? Uh, there's one part where it goes like really major kind of sound. Yeah, so no. of, the, of the tapping finger, just then you mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm kind of all based around E, and I'm starting off essentially on like a... Kind of like that. And I go to like a... That's like highlighting an E major chord, and then I would go... To kind of get like a, a yeah. C major C kind of thing going on, and this part is where it gets interesting. Yeah, that was the one which I was is thinking like of. Um, what was that? <laughs> is that a D minor kind of thing? No, that's um, C sharp minor. So I went from E major to C major to C sharp minor, then back to C major, D major. Yeah. So that all together slowly would be. I would do that twice, but then on the second time round, I kind of ascend, and now I would just do this E major kind of thing, back down to the C. Something like that. I would change it every time and just play yeah. whatever I felt. It's but it was very creative. In uh, I mean, you're using standard kind of tapping technique, but mm -hmm. the harmonies are yeah. so beautiful. They keep shifting around the. Yeah, well, I mean, it really keeps you interested. You know, that was my theory because I didn't want to be the guy who just comes out and just goes yeah. for like three minutes because that'll be boring. I think if I'm going to do this, if I have to do this improvised or this solo spot. It has to be appealing to not necessarily just the guitarists who like want to see something cool and flashy, but if I'm there and I don't know anything about music, I just want to hear something cool. What sounds interesting to the ear, you know, as a, as a non-musician. So um, yeah. that's why I want it to be like, like almost like a song. You're, you're essentially crafting a song. You start maybe with some riffing and then you do some pe pentatonic kind of stuff. And then you kind of build into this big climactic thing to the biggest, you know, you know big note kind of thing. And yeah, and that's when this tapping thing, I don't know even how he came up with it. I was just trying to think what would Reb, what might Reb might do. And when I watched his solo spots, he would always do essentially that. He would start with a riff and yeah. he'd go on some bluesy things, then some whammy bar harmonic stuff. And then he'd have a whole tapping phrase that would often do similar kind of very interesting har harmonic stuff where he'd be doing a major thing yeah. and it'd blend, you know, and it kind of go in and out of different kind of non-diatonic phrases kind of thing. And I was like, what can I do then? So, and I kind of started there and I thought that's, you know, and then moved like kind of like Eddie as well, yeah. kind of my own eruption, so to speak. And I move around, and then then it all kind of just evolved until I came up with something that I could do somewhat comfortably every night. Not that it was that comfortable because it's pretty tricky to do it for like. Oh, yeah. I found after like tapping nonstop for like a minute, your hand starts to cramp up. So I'd have to be careful as I started off because I'd start off slow, yeah, and I would slowly build up and have to get to a tempo that I feel like. What can I do comfortably without really thinking about yeah. it? But if I go too fast, yeah. and I have to carry on at that same tempo for the rest of the yeah, sort you of start smelling smoke off your wrist. Yeah, and, yeah, and everything would start to like seize up. So um, that was what I came up with. But yeah, I learned a lot from from Reb. Like his the way he taps is very interesting because he always says in interviews that he was never necessarily fast with his left hand at going up and down phrases. He would 
use his right hand in the extension of his left and I could never do it but essentially what he would do is he would do like a three note phase and then pick with his third finger the next yeah. note of the scale um, and kind of go up a scale yeah. in like that which I could never do fast so I would kind of just do my own thing but yeah, yeah. he would always be the thing I learned most from him was that um, when I was if I were tapping, like when I were to do a solo messing on, I would always kind of go like, something like this would be the cliche guitar thing, right? Which is which is yeah. cool. Um, and that always kind of, the right hand always taps like on the downbeat. So yeah. one, two, three, four, one, two, like that. Yeah. Whereas he would often, the right hand tapping part would come in like on, on later, like he'll start the phrase like that. Yeah. So he might have something where he goes, like a cool thing like that, which sounds, instantly more interesting than just going yeah you know all like, oh. exactly you know all these kind of cool little things you would do you know you know yeah. and I was never really a, a tapper before that and I realized okay there's, there's so much more to like the way you can do this and which parts you can tap and where you can tap and you know tapping on strings that you're not yeah. even playing to get kind of You know all, all these kind of little things, and I, I would, you know, I got really into kind of how could I kind of come up with cool phrases. You know, these cool. little melodic ideas that aren't just like tapped licks, so to speak. Yeah, but um, he's the master of that. You know, he kind of really kind of has his own way of doing it. So I'm just trying to keep up. So <laughs> so great, you're getting lessons from Red Beach. Yeah, this is this yeah, could be worse. <laughs> just take a peek at that. Uh... Yeah, make sure that's definitely still operating. Seems like it's pretty groovy. Is it doing its thing? You're good. Yeah. You got you. I realize. You, I guess people can't see, but you're you're very much wedged into a corner of uh, cables of the guitar layer, the guitar cage. Yeah, keyboards and other various things. So, yeah. So you, this may be a good segue because mm -hmm. you have such a countryside to you too, or yes. hybrid picking Telecaster yeah. side. I'm holding your Telecaster you at the tele, moment. Yeah. I don't know if you want to grab this. And show. I, I can do if you want. Uh, you yeah, can, yeah, sure. Just, like you, you hold this guy here. Maybe? Sure. Do you have a partnership with Charvel or? Um, These are great. I love the. Actually, I'll, give you, I'll give your cable back to you. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I don't have a partnership with Charvel, but I'd love one because those, guitar, those guitars are great. Like, that's such a nice guitar to play. Yeah. I actually got that um, a couple of weeks into the Roth tour. That was another funny thing, going back to that briefly. The same day that he came in to watch our sound check and you know said we're all too quiet, yeah. one of his requirements was that all the guitars have to have Floyd Roses on them. And I was using this Strat here, <laughs> which Strat, is just like... Standard, standard bridge. Yeah, and that stays in tune. It's great and everything, but he didn't like that. He was like, you need to have a Floyd Isn't Rose. Isn't that funny? Because he's not... I mean, he does play guitar, actually. He plays, mm. he plays I, a bit. I, I love it when you play like Ice Cream Man. I love his blues yeah. side, but that's so funny that he's all technical. I want Marshalls and Floyd Roses. Yeah, he's he's very specific. Like, he wants <laughs> Seymour Duncan, so we got those fitted before the tour started. Um no one actually mentioned about the Floyd Rose until we were on the tour, which is why nothing happened. You know, we, we'd rehearsed; it was all great. But yeah, when the when the tour started, he, he I think he was probably just looking for something to kind of have. So yeah, Marshalls, Floyd Roses, Seymour Duncan. So he wanted the Floyd Rose. So we reached out to Charvel, um, Ryan, the MD, did and said, you know, we're looking, we're on this, we're on tour right now, and um, David wants you know something that our guitarist can use. Is there anything you can have? And they were like, sure. So they gave me these two white Charvel um, Pro. Uh, Sandimus Pro Mod whichever version they are put the Seymour Duncans yeah. in they did used to have the D tuner as well because we'd unchained yeah. we'd pop it out and go in tune but that was never fully it could never stay in tune I find with that so um, I actually had them take Thomas took them out for me and if you notice on the uh, 
the building side that's slightly longer because yeah. it's not part of the shower. That's actually apparently from Steve I's guitar because he had a spare one lying around. Yeah. So here, we'll just put this, we'll fit this one in. So Rad. that, you know, little bit there is actually from one of his Ibanez's, I guess, which is gives it a little more you know, yeah, uniqueness. But um, yeah, now we're on the, uh, the old telly. I'm going to switch to something a little less aggressive. You put up that badass video with a genius title, Fast Country oh, Guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever who would have types thought? that into YouTube. Oh, that, that was my philosophy, right? Like, who am I? My first song on YouTube, first attempt at YouTube and playing a style which is not even something that I grew up with or already even considered myself to be that good at, um, which is... Uh, yeah, and I was like, okay, well, if I if I'm a guitarist looking on YouTube for something fun and silly and technical, what might I type? Fast country guitar. <laughs> so I was like, that's Brilliant. what the song will be called. And then um, I wrote this little country riff, which was yeah. probably ten years ago now, I suppose. That was probably when it yeah. came out. I'm and gonna then, put up a song tomorrow called "How to Shred." No, that's that's smart <laughs> stuff. You know, if you want to get lots of views, just do clickbait titles. You know, like no, but the one thing you're not supposed to that's play. That's a badass you know? video, and you got like. It's over, over a million. 10 million or so. Or yeah, it's not quite there. Maybe 10 million one day. But yeah, you got, it, somehow, it, somehow it got to over a million. Once it gets uh, there, I can't keep track of like numbers anyway. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. I don't know how it got there. It's one of those, I never understand fully why some things make it. Because when I look back, at it, I feel like it, it's it's so rudimentary, technically, you know, oh, yeah. and it's very, you know, not, it's not produced in any, it's just Pro Tools, learning how, I was learning how to use it at the time, basic drum loop with a MIDI bass. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, me, you know, doing what I do on top with very basic film editing skills. But, you know, I guess maybe because it is so basic and simple and raw, that's what the appeal is. It's just purely focused on the guitar. Yeah. But yeah, I got into the country stuff when I was studying at university back in England. Because I'd never heard any of those kind of like bluegrass, you know, licks before. And then we did one lesson where in a class was, you know, country licks. I was like, okay, whatever, cool. And then you showed us some of these kind of like... Yeah. Or, you know, or something like that and I was like that's kind of cool so you were and, studying music there yeah and then I went and looked up like Brent Mason and Brad Paisley and Vince Gill and Danny Gatz and all these guys and I was like wow these guys are really good maybe I can do that you know, maybe I can learn how to do what they do you know and I'd already been doing some hybrid pricking at the time but um, never kind of knew much about the country so I kind of just started messing around learning myself and then I you know that fast country guitar is what you call it yeah. which is, the actual name is called Chicken Run because oh, you know, okay. I guess it's why not because it felt like Chicken Pick and Chicken Run there was a movie so the riff was kind of like playing a bit slower I think I think it's more like Yeah, now we're fast. <laughs> yeah. And so on, you know, it goes on. And then since then I've every now and then I'll put up another addition to yeah. the, the fast country guitar series. I think there's like ten of them now maybe. Just uh-huh. because all the titles seem to keep getting people in and every time i just you know come up with like a, a country kind of riff yeah. i'll write a little song about it and um then put it out there and it seems to be you know people That's like great, that yeah. i guess i guess in the youtube guitar world there's there's plenty of videos of like great shredding stuff and all that but there aren't maybe as much of the kind of the country bluegrass stuff in in like a slightly rocky context so maybe there's just a niche that i found that people are interested in or think it's cool i mean that was what i thought when yeah. i first heard it so that's i get makes sense that other people do would find it interesting but um but yeah i just got into the country stuff and um 
it's funny because I never played that when I was in England. There weren't really any gigs like that in England. There was no real country artist stations in England to listen to. So it's yeah. funny how I kind of found myself in there. But yeah, since coming yeah. out here, obviously, country's a big deal. So I've been able to jump on a couple of country gigs. Yeah, you got, but, what's your plan, the country to country yeah. festival? And that's like a big deal in London, right? Yes, so I'm going back to play that in a, in a few weeks um, with a guy called Willie Jones, who I did a little short tour with at the end of, not last year, the year before that. Um, which is kind of like country southern rock kind of stuff and yeah it's, it's a big gig yeah. it's like the big one in england i guess if you're going to do it because we only have yeah. so many country shows going on so that's if you're gonna that's the one really it's at the o2 arena which is yeah. a very cool venue so i play the o2 except for it was the bowling alley that's part right. of the kind it's like brooklyn bowl it's in the <laughs> o2 but it's not the o2 it's well you're in there you know you made yeah. it you know it's the yeah. main thing yeah Maybe I actually don't even know what stage run. We might be in the bowling alley as well. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a good little venue. Still the O2. It's yeah, a nice place. Yeah, high ceilings. Yeah, yeah, but so, yeah, but yeah, the country stuff is cool. Um, any I, other uh, hybrid approaches or something that you really yeah, stumbled well, um, on that you like to? I suppose. Um, yeah, where did the, I mean, a lot of it I found it's kind of just try, exploring myself. Like I never really had anyone officially teach me how to do this stuff. I just listened to like the guys who I thought were doing it and tried to sort of copy them and picked up a few things like just general kind of like banjo rolls. I always tell people like if you want to get good at hybrid, you can start with some like an exercise like this. Um, yeah. Start like that. So the first note is here. You're picking the first note and hammering the second one. Yeah. And then the next note is the open G string, right? Yeah, open G. That's with my second finger. Second so finger of your right pick, hand. hammer, open G. Plucking it with the, yeah. The then I go finger. back to the uh, D again. So you're kind of hearing the same note. Yeah. Yeah. And then on my third finger, I'm plucking the third fret on the B string. So you have... Yeah. And then what happens after that? Uh, and then I just pick, which is D string, open G, yeah. and then B. And that's the pattern, and you can repeat that. Yeah, yeah, and that's just a good little exercise, and you yeah. can. Yeah. You know, <laughs> maybe I'll try that guitar. Yeah, I was gonna say you'll be in the same tuning here. But yeah, that's um, that is actually how I started one of my songs on. I think it's yeah. Fast Country Guitar Six. I think is the uh, YouTube title. Um, Return of Revenge of the Son of Fast Country Guitar. Yeah, there's only so many titles that I have to start being creative and getting out of. Yeah. You know, the Return of the Fast Country Guitar. But um, but yeah, yeah. I once I once arranged this Dolly Parton song mm -hmm. that's actually a Billy Joel song. I found out called mm -hmm. "Traveling Prayers." Wait. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nice. Mm -hmm. hmm. It's nice. got a cool. It's got a little cool. Comfort. I was gonna say cool chord changes as well. Yeah. Nice. I love, yeah. I love messing with all that stuff. I love that. Though. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. But um. Yeah. I love the tone you got going there through the Kemper too. A little, yeah, com a little, little compression. Yeah, yeah, I feel like for this stuff you kind of need. Yeah, man. How great is a Telecaster? Yeah, I, I never used to like them when I was younger. I think because I saw like, oh man, a bunch of bands that like, not particularly in my opinion, like flashy stuff like guitar players using them, like indie rock bands. They were just kind of playing like you know, yeah, you know, like, yeah, totally. 
yeah. you know, kind of bo- I just thought Telecaster boring and then I saw like country players play them I was like oh that's what you can do with them and you know the fixed bridge obviously really helps with all that kind of the all that kind of yeah Nice. The tuning's a little bit off, but um, yeah. it really helps uh, all that kind of stuff because if you're on a, any sort of a, yeah. <laughs> a floating bridge, it just pulls all the strings out of tune. But I love the fact that you can like bend and make new chords and all that kind of yeah, stuff. And right. um, yeah. yeah. You know, you, without you, having you a got bend, tens on there? Or? These are tens, yeah. yeah. I feel that any. Because you make them look like nines, but yeah. And when I, know, I, I was on. playing it a second ago, it felt like tens. No, these. <laughs> Actually, are these nines? These might be nines, actually. Cause yeah. I think I used to use tens, and then, yeah, for anything where you're doing a lot of bending, I just I want to make it yeah. easier on myself. So yeah. 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 All right. John. But um, but yeah, all the country stuff is fun. Like you know, like studying Jack and all that kind of stuff. I used to know the whole thing, but. Yeah, there's only that's great. Uh, what is it? Oh man, he's smiling somewhere right now. Yeah, that's great. yeah. I I, <laughs> I have a, I have it on YouTube as well. As I, you know, I did a version of that, but um, there's a yeah. great Chet Atkins arrangement of that, and he, you know, I, I just yeah, tried to play I, it note for note, and he's, you know, it's great the way he does it. Um, because he was like you know one of the the fathers of country you know Nashville yeah. guitar so if there's anyone to sort of learn from it's him and he's such a great way of like um, voicing and arranging songs and very melodic yeah. and musical and not just flashy but it sounds great you know oh, great songs yeah yeah so yeah I learned a lot from all those guys but I think it was like Brent Mason and Brad Paisley the ones who really kind of yeah, inspired yeah. me as far as the country stuff went because just the Brad Paisley had some slightly more rocky stuff as well and Brent Mason could do all the jazzy stuff so those guys and they just crazy technique so <laughs> yeah. yeah and one time i saw brett mason at the nam show at all-star mm. guitar night and he was playing with um noki edwards from the ventures okay the iconic guitarist and ventures are amazing but obviously they play pretty simple sure. stuff compared to what brad pay i'm sorry what brent mason yeah, yeah. can do and it was amazing because brent he didn't play a single flashy note all night i think the most he ever played was like just doing that rhythm kind of stuff yeah, he just he was so respectful mm. yeah you know, his name was there but he didn't do any showing off it was all yeah. about i mean he's like he's like you know the, the consummate session guitarist and he yeah. just whatever he's in but he makes them sound good um i suppose that's a sign of you know a good musician i always say like you can always tell a good player doesn't matter what they're playing they can be just go yeah all th- you know, for three minutes yeah and you can still tell if they're good just because of you know yeah. how they play the command, the timing, the phrasing. If you're you don't always have to play fast stuff, so you know that's it's great. Obviously, Brent Mason, you know, he knows doesn't need to show his fastest country legs off. He can just be yeah. playing rhythm and and it makes it sound good, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of making people sound better, you've been doing that for some pop artists lately, some stars, Selena yeah, Gomez. I, I did a few of them. That was actually um, so that was my my friend Nolan. He brought me into a sort of couple of sessions. I think a few of them were even before I even moved out here when I when yeah. I would kind of come back and forth on my oh, before cool. I got my visa. I think the first one I did with him was with a band called DNCE and yeah. their biggest hit was um, that Cake by the Ocean. Yeah. That wasn't me who played that. I wish it right. was because probably would have made a lot more money. But um, I have played that song before at events. 
Yes, I think we've all played it probably at some point, but, weddings, parties, all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah. would you do you think you would have made a lot more because it's such a big hit? Or is I mean, is there a standard session fee for something like that on a major label record, or do you um, get more mechanicals? It de- depends. Like when I did that one, because I wasn't, I didn't even, ha- I wasn't living here, didn't you know, yeah. didn't have a visa or social security, so I kind of we had to, and it was all it gets paid through. I think the label pays, so we had to sort of. Had to go to my English bank account. I can't remember exactly. In other how to words, do you're it. still waiting for the check for that. Yeah, oh, yeah, all that I'm stuff. I'm not making a joke yeah. about labels, but go ahead. One day I'll, I'll get that back. <laughs> no, well, when when I came out here and I did, you know, some stuff with Selena, um, same kind of thing where, okay, you got yeah. paid. Now what? And they were like, oh, it has to go through like the unions, all that. I was like, well, I'm a member of the FAM call, so I reached out to them, and they were like, yeah, well, we handle that. Just tell us. They send you like this document which has, you know, the date, the hours, about the name of the song, just the details, and they will go and contact yeah. the label. Um, Interesting. And then when I got the the hours back of what the, my guy from the AFM was sort of saying the rates were, I was like, wow, that's that's a lot of money. I'm glad if they can do that. But usually labels don't like paying musicians, so that, you know yeah. the rate I ended up getting was was still decent, but it was just like a one time payment. But yeah. he, the guy from the AFM, was saying, yeah, we're forever like fighting with labels to try and like actually get the rates that people want because labels never want to pay musicians; they always want to go for less, or they take such a long time. And yeah, these things always do yeah. take a long time. But yeah, I played on a couple of Selena Gomez tracks. Um, very basic stuff, usually just background stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Another, a couple of Alec Benjamin songs, who's another kind of like pop yeah, guy. Yeah. But um, I haven't done any of that stuff in a while. Most of my stuff these days is live playing. But um, yeah, some of it I recorded just in here. You know, a, a lot, lot of them um, DNC or something. Mm-hmm. Is it the one where you're doing kind of like thirds or almost? Almost. Yes, that's a good point. Um, actually, can't even remember how that goes. I didn't play the main riff. I came in to play oh. like to auxiliary stuff. Oh, yeah. So I'm almost, um, yeah, what was, the, how does it go? Um, I'm pull up here. Because um, I was doing more like Steve Lukather's, like little, like kind of little. Yeah. Kind of, like just simple little bubble picking kind of parts. But um, <laughs> right, so, so my friend Nolan, he played that guitar part. Nolan did. And then later, uh, let's just fast forward. Yeah, a key win. Yeah. This is, I think I used to. Oh. Oh. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, some, I'm doing something in there. I like these little monitors, man. They sound good. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a sub yeah. down here, which is uh, definitely, you know, yeah. I'm ever like, you know, recording and writing yeah. it helps because then um, makes everything sound yeah. much clearer um, but yeah I was just playing a little uh, something like that and we bring the up again some, some little uh, yeah wow. that's it that's it Kind of a very different approach to how I would do it on a lot of like, yeah. like the winger and all that because like, these kind of licks are very like my, my job is basically just to go. Yeah, I, I did that as well. I think, yeah, that's the first, first hurt that I thought it might have been you. Yeah, just a little thing in the background whilst mm-hmm. and so on. So, usually on those kind of gigs, I'm kind of doing little yeah. little things here and there. And I think one of the Selena tracks, Nolan was like, I'll do like some Santana style lead. So, I just did a yeah. one take over the whole song where I just do some stuff 
but um yeah it's very different from playing like the rock stuff because i grew up on like all the rock stuff when i was younger and then started playing in wedding bands and, and little club gigs in england where it was more like funk and r&b and soul so it was all like you know um like a <laughs> Yeah, Lucian Joss. Whatever it is, yeah. I know that song. Uh, Luther Vandross. Uh, Never too much. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, and where all the guitar parts is just this. Yeah, totally. Little funky things, you know, Michael Jackson, like PY2. Um, there it is. Um, the, the Telecaster is great for that shit. Oh yeah, it's great for all that little plucky, funky stuff. So I spent years kind of coming away oh, yeah. from big riffs and solos, and I come out to America where I go to yeah. the jam nights, and there's still a big rock scene going on, and find myself in the rock gigs where it's like, okay, now I have to get back into to playing a lot again and being like yeah. front and center, big riffs, big noise, and everything. So yeah, it's kind of d- jumping in these different worlds, you know, where you're playing. So you know, it's a boulevard big. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Where you're playing one minute is could be country where i've done some country gigs where you know then the funk stuff as well which which is kind of what oh, i spent yeah. most of my time playing when i was young when i was sort of actually doing music in england and then come right Me here it's, it's gone back onto the rock stuff so yeah. it's nice to sort of delve into these different worlds because i think they all help to make you play interesting i always say like you know because I, I teach a little bit every now and then and i think you know the best players always pull from things that aren't within the genre they're necessarily in so if you're like yeah. you know a, you want to be play rock and you want to be in a rock band and cool listen to acdc guns and roses aerosmith as i did um, but if you only ever listen to stuff like that, you're just going to sound like them, but probably not as good because who's going to be as good as ACDC than ACDC themselves? Whereas if you maybe listen to like, I know Bruce Hornsby piano, and I love that kind of stuff, and you know, and yeah. then some great, you know, if you focus on like learning the guitar, the drum feel of Jeff Beccaro or something like that, and or if you listen to you know some funk and soul, and then you then you go to your rock and you bring some elements of these things into rock, you can come up with some cool stuff that maybe people aren't used to hearing you know country or bring some rock into country or like bring some yeah. classical neoclassical into some country stuff you know why not you know that's where kind of the interesting stuff comes from so i always try and think if i'm doing something a to sort of not get pigeoned to like oh i'm playing a country song i have to stick just to like one four and five and your pentatonic scales why not you know do some yeah. interesting chords bring up the harmony um i did one uh, one of my recent country guitar songs i think is i think it's called the return of fast country guitar um there's like a hybrid picking intro but it's like based yeah. around like an f kind of a lydian chord oh it's kind of a scale which i figured out you can do with open strings which is this yeah. and then i feel it and you can harmony you know that kind of stuff whatever the riff is I don't know it's, it's, on, it's on YouTube but yeah just bringing like because you don't hear that kind of sound in country that often it's quite like that could be like prog yeah. or something in weird you know totally you know bringing some interesting harmony I always think that's the stuff that makes me pucks yeah. my interest and I notice sometimes in the comments people are like oh you're you're actually doing songs that are interesting to listen to not just flashy guitar and I'm like that's my goal I don't want to just be you know here's a riff for three minutes yeah. and then you know you know just doing fast stuff it has to be musically interesting as well um and i always think you know when you think like the best guitarists in the world they're not just best because they're technically great they write great music they write great songs you know that's why they're the best so that should always be the first goal write a good song and then the technique is part of it all the flashy stuff but if your goal is just to write flashy technique 
it can be quite boring to the to the listener if you're not watching it was what i'm saying i think music should yeah. be if you're if you're just listening to it, it should still be entertaining even if it's flashy if you have to watch it to kind of get the kind of what it's all yeah. about you're 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 missing kind of a lot a big part of it you know so, so yeah. learn a million songs too i guess until you can start writing that's the goal you know, yeah just just learn everything and How then you be, get better at composing well, I think, I mean, it's funny, like, my friend Nunn says the same thing, goes, we're always listening to hit songs all the time. You turn on the radio, every song that's on a radio is probably the single from that artist or the, the best song from that artist. So why is it so tricky to write, like, a great song? Because we're always listening to great songs. We're not often listening to, like, B-sides and demos. We're listening to good songs. So it's trying to learn from the, this music, what is it that makes that song great? And, you know, noticing trends. And, you know, the, the difficult yeah. thing, I think, as a musician is that the more proficient you become, the more you kind of want to show that here's this new chord and here are these new scales and this new rhythm I learned. Yeah. And then you kind of, the music becomes more technically interesting and then your musician crowds probably love it because they're like, wow, you're doing all this cool stuff. But then you kind of lose your non-musician audience because it goes over their heads. It's like, we can't understand that. You know, if I'm just, if I start a song off and that's the chord, mm-hmm. all the jazz is like, nice, cool, you know. But then if you're not, a, you know, a jazz musician, it probably just sounds wrong to you, you know, until you go here. <laughs> So yeah. um, it's kind of resolve it. Yeah, resolve it exactly. Can't be too tense all the time. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, well, thanks again, Jake. You rule. Really I appreciate pleasure. you guys Thank having me over today. Yeah. Adid Kingsley. They made it back just in time <laughs> to hear us. You know, noodling away. But yeah, and I'm yeah. glad we did this. Thank you for doing it. And yeah, um, anytime, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Totally. Yeah. We're neighbors. Keep it alive to your 95, my friend. There you go. All right, one more jam. <laughs> the guitar out of tune. Good. Right on, Jake. Mm. 
having me over today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for coming over. Thanks for doing this. I'm glad we finally did it three years later, you know. <laughs> Oh, the time is safe.